0: It's good to have you this morning. Worshiping with us, uh, this is our third week in a, a series that we've done on on uh, worry, and uh, today it's going to kind of culminate uh, in, in a story that we're just going to we're going to look at from the Old Testament, and uh, it, it, context is big this morning. So if you missed one of the one of the last two sermons in this series. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it, not, not, definitely not toot my horn, because that would be terrible, but, and you'd wonder why, but it gives context, it gives context for today. Because basically what we're going to do is, is we're going to look at uh, somebody's life that has, has kind of lived out the two uh, sermons or the two stories, the two truths that we looked at the previous two weeks first week, if you remember, we, we looked at Matthew, and where Jesus said, don't be don't be anxious, and he told us three different times. Don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious. Several reasons why. Number one is it doesn't do any good at all. I mean, it, you, you, never, you never gain a day in your life, you never uh, make, make the path easier. Worry does nothing. It's not, it's not helpful, it's not productive, so don't worry. But the bigger truth is that he God desires, his, his, his uh, heartbeat is that his children, his followers, would not worry about this life. Would not worry about the trials and the tribulations of this life. Because his, his throne is not dependent upon his subjects, his people, his followers being worried, anxious. He loves us too much for it. It's basically what we said. So don't be anxious. If you know Christ this morning was the the truth coming from the scriptures. Second thing last week that we looked at is when trials and tribulations come, there's a purpose, there's a plan. He's in control. He knows what's going on. He's working all things for our good and for his glory. And his desire is that we would be uh, refined, molded more into the image of His son. And so whenever trials, tribulations come... When we're, when we're tempted to worry about it, the encouragement from James was that we would persevere and in doing so look more like the Son. Look more like Jesus. Our lives reflecting Him more clearly as a result of our trial, our tribulation, our difficulties. And so this morning all I really want to do is just look at a story where all of these things come together. Where, uh, and it's a story that, that you, you'll you know well, but I think in, in light of our series on worry, it, it, you'll, you'll see this story from a little bit of a different angle this morning. Where we see that worry really doesn't do any good, and God is at work. He's working all things for His good, for our good and for His glory in the life of this prophet. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in, in 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. There's two two kings, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, if you're kind of new to to the Bible or new to Bible study. And uh, we're going to be in 1 Kings (laughs) chapter 19. And let me set this up a little bit and then we'll jump into the scriptures. When the nation of Israel became a kingdom, had an earthly king, the first king that was installed into the nation of Israel was King Saul. And he ruled and he reigned after King Saul was uh, Israel's most famous king, King David. That's right. And he followed King Saul. After King David reigned, his son took over the throne, King Solomon. And he ruled and he reigned. Well, after King Solomon, the nation of Israel went into a bit of turmoil. And it split in two. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. The story that we're going to look at today happened in about 860 B.C. in the northern kingdom. The nation is already split. There's two separate nations at this point in the the nation of Israel's history. The story that we're going to look at took place in the northern kingdom in Israel, 860 B.C. The king of, of Israel, the king of the northern kingdom, was a guy named King Ahab, and uh, King Ahab was a very wicked king. The Bible tells us he he was a, he he took the the people of God, the the nation of Israel, and he 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 made it against the law to worship the God of Israel. And sorry, I was looking to see where we're at. We're getting there in just a second. Um, the, he, he turned the, the nation away from the God of Israel. And he installed this God named Baal into the nation that must be worshipped. So he was a wicked, wicked king. God was not going to stand for the, uh, the idol worship that Ahab led the nation of Israel to do. So he sent a prophet, a prophet whose name was Elijah, to go and confront Ahab. Elijah, obeyed God, went, he had a conversation with Ahab, and the conversation went something like this. Ahab, you're a wicked, wicked king. You've turned the hearts and the people of of God away from God to worship Baal. As a result of that, you're going to face punishment, and the nation is going to face punishment. There is going to be an extended drought. The rain is turned off, and it's going to wreck the economy. It's going to wreck this nation, but it's because you Turn the hearts of the people away from the God that they are supposed to worship. And then he turned and he left. He went east at God's command. Well, Ahab wasn't too concerned about that. He didn't think uh, Elijah had the power to turn the rain on, turn the rain off. So he was not too concerned after this conversation. Well, as I said, Elijah leaves. He goes eastward. God tells Elijah, look, you're not going to be a very popular man in this nation. You need to get out of Dodge. That's exactly what Elijah does. He heads east, and he he comes to a little brook. And that's where God tells Elijah to hang out until God gives further instruction. So that's exactly what Elijah did. He hung out at the brook. He was not living high on the hog, but God was taking care of him during this extended drought. Day after day, week after week. Month after month, even year after year, this drought continued. And Elijah was taken care of at this brook for water. And then the Bible tells us that ravens brought food to Elijah every morning and every evening. God was watching out for his prophet. Well, eventually this brook that was providing water for Elijah um, uh, dried up. And so the word of the Lord came back to Elijah and said, hey, I want you to go And I want you to find this certain widow's house. When you get there, she's going to take care of you. And that's exactly what Elijah did. He got himself up. He went and he found this particular widow's house. Knocked on the door. Walked in and said, God sent me here. I need you to take care of me. I need some water and I need something to eat. The widow said, you know, I would love to do that. But there's a bad drought delay. And all I have is a little bit of flour and a very little bit of oil left over. In fact, our plan is, me and my son, we're just going to make this last piece of bread, we're going to eat it, and then we're going to die. The the, the prophet Elijah says, no, that's not going to happen. If you will make the bread and you'll give it to me first, we will not run out of, of flour and oil. We will not run out of water. And so the widow trusts the prophet Elijah and does exactly as he says. And the flour and the water and the oil never run out as long as the drought, the famine, is in the land. Well, while the prophet Elijah is at the widow's house, tragedy strikes. Her son, her only son, falls ill. So ill that the Bible tells us that he dies. And the widow is furious at the prophet Elijah. Elijah picks up the boy, takes him upstairs, and he offers this heartfelt prayer to God God, you've brought me here, you have a plan. Please breathe life back into this boy for your glory and for our good. And that's exactly what God does. He hears the prayer of Elijah and answers in affirmation The boy rises from the dead. And joins his mom back downstairs. Well, after this happens, the the, the word of the Lord comes back to Elijah and says, hey, I want you to head back and I'm going to make it rain again. It's been three years since the last conversation Elijah had with the king King Ahab. But God tells him, I want you to go back. I want you to tell Ahab I'm going to turn the water back on. The rain's coming back. But first, you and Ahab need to have a conversation. So that's exactly what happens. Elijah goes back, finds King Ahab, says, God's going to turn the water back on. It's going to rain again, but first we need to have a conversation. I'll meet you on Mount Carmel. And you know how the story unfolds on Mount Carmel. Carmel. Ahab brings 450 prophets of Baal. Elijah's by himself. They they both set up these altars. They take a bull, and they set the, the bull on the altar as a sacrifice. The prophets of Baal go first. They get the altar set up, they put the the sacrifice on the altar, and kind of the kicker, the the missing piece to all of this is that they're not going to set anything on fire. They're going to call fire down from heaven. And whichever God answers the prayer is the one that they know is true, the one that should be worshipped. The prophets of Baal set up their altar, call fire down from heaven. There's no answer. They do a little dance, no answer. This happens all morning long. When lunch arrives, there's still been no answer from the God of Baal. Little G, Baal, God. It. And it's at this point that the prophet Elijah starts to, to mock their God a little bit. Well, not really a little bit, but a lot. He says, Well, well, maybe you should shout louder. Maybe maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's on vacation. So maybe you just need to scream a little bit louder. Maybe you need to cut yourselves a little bit deeper. And he begins to mock the God of Baal. This goes on throughout the day when dinner time arrives. There's still been no answer. And Elijah says, all right, put down your stuff. It's my turn. He digs up a trench around the altar that he's set up. And he calls in the people that are watching this event unfold. he tells them, get some water and fill up the trench with water. Get some more water. Dump it. All over the altar and on the sacrifice. Now remember, there is very little water left over in the entire nation. And he seems to be wasting it on this particular altar and for the sacrifice. But the reason he does it is he doesn't want them to think that it's magic. He wants them to know for sure that the God of Israel is the one who is the true God and is the one who answers. While he's on the Mount Carmel, he prays. And God sends down fire, and it's not just any average fire. It's fire that consumes the water, consumes the rocks, consumes the altar, it consumes the sacrifice. And all of the people that are watching, the nation of Israel says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the one to be worshiped, Not the prophet of, or not the, uh, not the God of Baal. They take the prophets? Bail down to the water, slaughter them down there, all 450. And then the prophet Elijah has a conversation with Ahab. Tells him you need to go back home because it's about to rain. Ahab goes back home, has a conversation with his wife, Jezebel. A wicked, wicked, wicked person. In fact, you don't even have to be a Bible person to know that's a wicked person. I've known. One person in all of my life was named Jezebel. Her brother's name was Judas. No, I'm just kidding. Not that one. But, but Jezebel is a... I mean, it just has a wicked connotation. You don't even have to be, have a, be a Bible person to know that. She's a wicked, wicked person that follows her even to this day. So Ahab goes home to have a conversation with Jezebel. While that happens, Elijah, in the last verse of chapter 18, gives us an interesting detail. Elijah goes back to Jezreel. Jezreel is the capital city of the nation. And this is important because Elijah has a plan. Elijah believes that one of two things is about to happen. These people that just saw this great thing happen on Mount Carmel are going to either rise up against Ahab and Jezebel, overthrow their monarch, and install a new godly king, or King Ahab and Jezebel's heart is going to change, shift, to the God of of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is sure that one of those two things is about to happen. And that's where we pick up the story in chapter 19, starting in verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. Verse 2. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Stop right there. Jezebel says, Elijah, I'm going to take you out. Your life this time tomorrow is over. Extinguished. Done. Done. Now, from our perspective, this, you would think, would make Elijah almost laugh, right? I mean, from our perspective, you would be thinking, do you remember what happened yesterday? I mean, Jezebel, if you have a problem with me, if, if if you want to take me out, I'll just meet you tomorrow. Let's go ahead and let's meet on Mount Carmel. And let's have our confrontation there. I mean, after all, Elijah has seen God's faithfulness time after time after time. He's, he has been provided for at the brook. He's been provided for by the, the, the widow. He's seen a, a, her son, who was dead, raised back to life. He, just the day before, saw 450 prophets of Baal shown up by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this threat should have made them go, do what? What are you talking about, Jezebel? Let's go! Bring it on! Give me your best shot! But that's not what happens. Look at the next verse. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life. The prophet Elijah forgot the past faithfulness Of the God that he served. The prophet Elijah had seen God work. Time after time after time. He had seen God's faithfulness. Throughout his life. And when one thing. Did not go according to his plan. When the the nation of Israel. Did not rise up. Or the heart of Jezebel and Ahab. Did not turn. To the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. The prophet Elijah. Forgot. About the faithfulness of God. And when this one threat came from Jezebel, worry took over his life. And he ran. He forgot the faithfulness of the God he serves. It continues. And he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. So he had left the entire country. He went to the southern kingdom. And left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And came and sat under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die. Saying, it is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life. For I am no better than my father's. In other words, I'm better off dead. I'm better off dead. Verse 5. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones in a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. This is awesome to me. Because we have seen how Elijah's life has been uh, just a, a, a banner of faithfulness to God. I mean, God has been faithful to this prophet over and over and over again. And then one, at one point in Elijah's life, after seeing God's faithfulness throughout his entire life, Elijah has a certain plan in mind does it, it not come to pass. And he begins to worry. He begins to, to, to worry about his health. He begins to worry about his well-being. He begins to worry about the nation of Israel really. And he runs as a result of that. Now, if I am God, I'm striking this guy down. I mean, if I'm just being honest, this prophet is as good as dead to me. Because he has turned his back the first time that a bump came in the road, the first time there was a trial, the first time there was difficulty. He turns and runs. But that's not how our loving Heavenly Father responds to his kids. God catches up with Elijah, finds him asleep underneath this broom tree. And what does he do? He prepares him a meal. He says, look, I know the journey has been tough. I know the journey has been trying. I know things are not going exactly how you played out, Elijah. And he responds to his disobedience. He responds to his worry. He responds to his running with kindness, gentleness, and loving kindness. And he gives him a meal. He continues. Verse 7. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Mount Horeb is, is a place called the mountain of God. It's the place where the Israelites believe that God hung out, God dwelled. Mount Horeb is actually not its most famous name. Its most famous name is Mount Sinai. It's the place where Moses met God, where God's faithfulness is seen over and over, time and time again. And that's exactly where, where uh, the prophet Elijah goes for a respite, goes to get away, goes to run away from the trials and the tribulations that he left in the northern kingdom. The mountain... Mount Horeb is the mouth of God, Mount Sinai. And look at how this unfolds when he gets to Mount Horeb. Verse 9. There he came to a cave. And that word cave is really cool. If you're looking at it in the original language, it's actually a very generic term. It doesn't mean like a cave like you and I would think of as a cave. It's a more generic term than that. In other places in the Bible, this word is actually translated a cleft or a ledge. And many commentators, actually most commentators believe that the place that he landed, the place that he he ends up here, this cleft on Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, is exactly the same place that Moses went to whenever he said, God, I just want you to pass by me. I want to see you. I want to see what you're really like. I want to see you with my own face. I want to see you with my own eyes. And God tells Moses, I want you, okay, you want to see me? I want you to go and I want you to hide in the cleft of the rock. And I want you to put a veil over your face. And I want you to hide there in the cleft of the rock. Most commentators believe that Elijah ends up in the exact same place as Moses so many centuries before this. And look at what happens when he gets there. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, Listen to this question. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Why are you here? What are you doing here? Elijah, why didn't you persevere? Elijah, why did you run? Elijah, why? Did you forget about my faithfulness time after time after time? Elijah, what are you doing here? Why are you worried? Why do you think that I've lost control of the situation? Why do you think that you, why, why, why do you believe that I forgot about you? Elijah, what are you doing here? Look at Elijah's answer. He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So Elijah answers God's question this way. God, basically this is your fault. I mean... The people have turned their back on you. They've taken out all the prophets, and you've left me and me alone to defend for your name, to defend your name. I'm left out there. I'm on an island all by myself. You have forsaken me. You've taken everybody away from me. I'm by myself, God. The reason I ran, the reason I'm here, the reason I'm on Mount Sinai is your fault. You're the reason I'm here, God. You've forgotten about me. You've left me by myself. I'm worried. Beyond worried. Because I have been left alone. This is your fault, God. The conversation with God continues. And he said, go out. This is God talking. Go out. Stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains, and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. And the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Now, I just want to point out that just because the, the Bible says that the that the Lord was not in the earthquake, the wind, and the fire, does not mean that God did not cause it. Obviously, this was not sort of some cosmic uh, 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 chance. Uh, It didn't happen by circumstance. God caused those things to happen. It was not some cosmic coincidence, is what I'm trying to say. God caused those things to happen. But God was not in any of them. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? I just want to highlight the character of God in this circumstance towards the prophet, Elijah. Elijah has seen God at work, as we've talked about over and over. Time after time after time, Elijah has seen God at work. One instance comes where Elijah has everything played out. The nation is about to turn back to God, and it does not go according to his perfect plan, Elijah's perfect plan. And when that turbulence hits, when that trial gets the prophet Elijah turns and runs. He gets worried. He's concerned about his own life. He is not trusting in the faithfulness of God. And he turns and he leaves. The, the, the Lord catches up with him. And asks him, what are you doing here? And the prophet Elijah basically says, I'm here because of you. I'm here because your faithfulness has not continued. I'm here because you left me alone on an island. I'm here because of you. And wind comes, earthquakes come, fire comes. But God was not in any of those. He shows up in a still, small voice. And this is a reminder of God's goodness, His faithfulness, His loving kindness to the prophet Elijah and to you and to me. If you remember last week, I said, I ended it this way by saying, God is good. He does not regret sending His Son to die for you. He does not regret saving you. He does not regret having a relationship with you. He is not disappointed in you. His grace is deeper than that. He loves you. And he is molding you more into his image each and every day. But he does not regret you. He does not love a future better version of you. He loves you where you are right now. And the still small voice is evidence of that. It was at Elijah's worst. In the worst state, after he had just turned, not trusting in the faithfulness of God, That God shows up, not in the wind, not in the, 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 the earthquake, not in the fire, not in judgment, but in a still, small voice. And that's exactly how it feels about you today. If you're under the blood of Jesus. Look at how this story ends. And when Elijah heard it, verse 13, and when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 14. And he said, I have been jealous for the Lord, God of hosts, For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets by the sword. And I, even I, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And I can't help but think that he said this with a little less arrogance this time. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Aziel to be king over Syria. Now this is significant because Syria already had a king. There was already a king in Syria. And God said, I want you to go and I want you to anoint a different person. And it continues. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, You shall anoint to be king over Israel. This is significant because Israel already had a king. And he wasn't a very nice guy. His name was Ahab. And he had already had a run in with them. But God said, I want you to go and I want you to anoint a new king over Israel. And Elisha, son of Jezaphat, Abel, Meloha, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. To which Elijah must have responded, God, I thought you were absent. I thought your faithfulness had run out. I thought you had left me on an island, on an island all by myself. But you had a plan all along. You, you had a plan all along. You knew what was going on. You knew the trials and the tribulations and the difficulties that were in my life. And you still had a plan in the midst of that. You knew what was going on all along and you had a plan for it? You knew that there was going to be a new king anointed in Israel. You knew that there was going to be a, a prophet anointed after me. You had a plan all along? And God said, yep, I had a plan. I knew what was going on. My faithfulness had not run out. I had a plan all along. Along. Last two verses Verse 17 and 18 The ones who escape from the sword of Hazel Shall Jehu put to death And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu Shall Elisha put to death Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel All the knees that have not bowed to Baal And every mouth that has not kissed it And he reminds Elijah that he does not know everything. He said, you thought you were on an island. You thought you were by yourself in the nation of Israel, but you were not. There are 7,000 brothers and sisters in the nation who have not bowed their knee to the prophet, to the to, to the God of Baal. And I'm going to raise them up now. I have been at work all along. I have known what was going on all along. And you don't have to worry about it. You do not have to worry about your life. I had a plan all along. And so I would just close this morning this story illustrating the things that we've talked about the last two weeks by saying this: when difficulties come, when trials and tribulations come into your life, God is at work He is doing a work in and through you that he can never do outside of the trials and tribulations that are in your life. And even when we do not respond in a way that honors Christ, he is long-suffering towards us. He is loving towards us. He does not regret saving you. He loves you. And he is working in and through your life. So when worries come, when trials come, when your response is not in line with what God would have, I pray you would remember the story of Elijah. The faithfulness that God showed him, he shows to us as well. And the kindness, the grace, that he showed to Elijah is evident in our lives as well. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for the story of Elijah. An illustration of the things we've been looking at. Lord, I pray, worry, while it's so easy to have in our lives. I mean, it just takes us, uh, it has a stronghold in, in our lives so easy. But Lord, that we would get rid of it. we would trust in your faithfulness, that you have shown to your people throughout the ages. Lord, I thank you for Elijah. I even thank you for his response, understanding that when we don't respond perfectly, your grace extends even more. In Jesus' name I pray.